0: hi this is andrew and this is keynote the daily now tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers hello everybody it is july the 11th 2022 we've done a number of shows recently about the implications of the law and state the supreme court particularly in america in terms of <coughs> reproduction and gun rights, but we haven't done much on the environment. Lots of consequences of the Supreme Court decision late last month to supposedly, at least according to to CNN, curb the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to fight climate change. Some people have interpreted this in an extremely pessimistic way. Uh, suggesting that the Supreme Court ruling will gut the EPA's ability to fight the climate crisis, assuming, of course, that big government is the agency we need or the the platform we need to fight the climate crisis. Uh, Many people chiming in, suggesting that this is an extremely dangerous path uh, from the Supreme Court, uh, a step backwards in fighting climate change, again, supposing that the the battle, the war to fight climate change is best fought from a central governmental EPA-style point of view. Uh, not everyone agrees. Some people believe that we can't actually regulate our way out of global warming, that fixing the climate requires more than just big government. It's an interesting debate. Uh, and the Hill asks whether a federal government is doomed in its effort to address climate change. Uh, There's a lot of what Greta Thunberg might call blah, blah, blah here. Government agencies, Supreme Court justices, journalists talking to one another. Uh, But there's an important issue here about how we are indeed going to fix the environment. Um, Not just fixing the environment, but fixing the climate more specifically. And my guest today is the co-author a really interesting new book. It's called Fixing the Environment Stretches for an Uncertain World. Uh, Charles F. Sable and David Victor authored the book. Charles is joining us. Uh, Charles, do these debates about the role of the EPA in fighting climate change, do they resonate in terms of your book? My understanding of your book is you believe that we need to fight the climate battle on multiple flat fronts and not simply rely on large government agencies? Uh, first, it's
1: uh, good to be with you, Andrew. Um, thank you for the occasion. Um, uh, I, and, and yes, that is, you, you've captured the uh, the spirit of the book uh, with respect to this debate. Um, uh, the argument is, the emphasis is on multiple levels. Uh, it's, uh, it's certainly the case that uh, The EPA, big government, uh, can't solve the problem by itself. But the book is also clear that uh, without uh, uh, framing government action, including, uh, importantly, sanctions of of various kinds, um, uh, the problem won't be solved or won't be solved uh, rapidly enough to uh, avoid catastrophe. You're
0: critical, uh, Charles, in the book of traditional... Protocol shall we call them like the Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Agreement for fighting the climate crisis. Why?
1: Well, cri- critical of them in different critical of Kyoto in one way and and uh, uh, Regretfully critical of Paris in another way. So let, let me explain each of um, the, uh, the the backdrop to the uh, Kyoto Accords was the uh, Came to be anyway. The the idea that um, you you solve the way to think about the climate problem uh, is an analogy to the tragedy of the commons. Um, uh, Just like uh, shepherds that are self interested and overgrazing, each one is is uh, maximizing their own returns, and collectively they're overgrazing the common. That's what we're doing. That's what humanity is doing to the atmosphere, and the answer, therefore, is to graze less, to to burden the atmosphere less, and the major problem is, since uh, what got us into the problem was uh, rational self-interest, that we have to come to a binding agreement that everybody will cut back in some equitable measure, Uh, because if we don't have a binding enforceable agreement. Everyone thinks that all the others will cheat and nobody will do anything. Uh, So Kyoto was an effort to create an agreement of that kind. Uh, The the key supposition to all that, leaving aside the difficulties of the negotiation, determining what's equitable, and, uh, you know, many other very serious problems, the flawed background assumption was that uh, we really just know what to do. The only problem is uh, uh, coming to agreement about how to share the burden of, of adjustment. But the fact is that the problem of climate means shifting. To solve the problem of climate, we have to shift from an economy that produces in sector after sector in agriculture, in steel, in in ocean shipping, in in aviation, in in residential construction. In sector after sector, we have an economy that uh, uh, is efficient and cheap and uh, uh, easy to. Make cheaper and even more efficient, but it's dirty and it's destroying the planet. and And you can't just come to it. people. Don't know how to get uh, from the dirty steel to the clean steel. For, from it used to be from from combustion engines to e vehicles and so on. And and if you add the burden of uncertainty to the problems of equitable negotiations, the result was an agreement that. Uh, didn't demand much and didn't didn't actually elicit much behavior much changed behavior uh, in support of what was agreed so it failed it palpably failed um, so Kyoto uh, failed Paris failed as well well Paris was an effort Paris that's the second part Uh, Paris was an effort to correct Kyoto and and to say look we screwed up Um, it was wrong to assume that we could uh, uh, come to a binding agreement, so we're gonna do the opposite. We're gonna have uh, an agreement where each country binds itself only to its what called nationally determined contribution, and the name tells you what, what it was. Uh, sort of everybody, each country decides what it can do, and that's a pledge, and then it's, in some way or other, supposed to be uh, it monitorable, or it, it monitorable at least, if not enforceable. And the problem there was it is that that it's helter skelter. Countries, um, some countries do a bunch, some countries don't do much. Um, it's not clear that they're actually bound by what they do, and and the concerted effort that you would need to uh, to uh, solve the problem, which is to to say to induce innovation across the the many key sectors. That problem is partially addressed by a mesh of government programs and private and and business actions, but the Paris Accord itself doesn't do much to uh, expedite and generalize that kind of innovation and its diffusion at the local level. So what about the role right. of politics,
0: Charles, uh, you and your fellow author David Victor had a piece in the Boston Review suggesting that politics is plastic, given that you're both environmentalists and enviro- environmentalists are great fans of plastic or plasticity. I'm assuming that for you, the solution for fixing the climate goes beyond politics.
1: Is that fair? Um well, I, beyond politics, meaning meaning that it's technocratic, absolutely not. Um, well, no,
0: meaning that we need to rely on the market on innovation.
1: Oh, absolutely, but but I I don't see I don't see politics as opposed to the market or innovation. The the argument of the book, the key argument of the book is how exactly to build forms of regulation and governance that encourage uh, innovation under uncertainty. In other words, to take the problem posed by the failure of Kyoto and left unsolved by the the retreat, the uh, efforts at, at redress in, in Paris, and to actually uh, address the question of how to speed innovation in the key sectors and then diffuse it. And that's a problem jointly of uh, government and politics, and the private sector, and and very emphatically, uh, civil society. But more generally speaking, our um, our democracies. Charles, how serious is the problem? We've done many
0: shows on this. Eugene Linden, for example, uh, an American environmentalist, believed that our path to a livable future is becoming narrower and narrower. What kind of time frame do we have to address the issues that you discuss in fixing
1: the climate? Uh, let me say I, I I would defer on that to my co-author David Victor. Um, uh, I mean, I, because he's an expert, and what I know, I know. Yeah, but we don't have David with us. So what's your? No, no, I, I understand, but I'm gonna give. I'm nonetheless. I I, I just want to signal that the, the the what's in the book has a is, is based on an informed answer, even though what I'm gonna say is isn't. Um, but nonetheless, I have confidence in what I'm going to say, and it, 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 even though there's a, a, something slightly platitudinous about it. So the first thing is, it's it's clear we're going to miss the one and a half degree targets. It's also clear that this is not a knife edge issue, that, that um, there's climate change has already produced massive dislocations. It will continue to produce massive dislocations. Uh, whether we get to tipping points where things uh, get exponentially worse it, uh, rapidly, uh, no one really knows. Um, the longer things go on, the greater the chance of that. But but um, uh, it's it isn't it, it absolutely is not the case that there's a consolidated science that gives you a ledge a cliff year. Um, we 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 uh, I, I guess the I, I think of. A point of view that's fairly widely shared is that um, we're at risk, uh, um, but we are in—we have the means. We now, in the last couple of decades, have have produced enough technological change, enough social adjustment, enough pieces of of uh, adjustment to a, a clean world, so that we could see that. Within a couple of decades, we could begin. We could certainly get the problem under control and and make it make it begin to be seriously manageable. Whether we're we run off, you know, we we run off the edge of a cliff that we didn't couldn't have fully predicted. That's uh, not for me to say. But I I don't. I, so let me just be clear. I don't. I don't share the view that every that every screw up by the Biden administration, every failure of, uh, uh, of this, this piece of legislation or that, means for sure that we're not going to hit a target and therefore things will stop. I don't, I don't believe that, but I think you would be a fool to think that the problem is not absolutely urgent and that if we Im- imagine that we can just wait for the, it to solve itself, um, we'll, we will be in an irreversible uh, situation.
0: Yeah, critics might say uh, Charles, and you know, I mean, I know that it's it's hard to make predictions here. There's a little bit of blah blah in that, but um, you you talked in your book or and, and in this conversation about tipping points. There is some good news this morning, for example, that um, according to Bloomberg, the U.S. has crossed what it calls the electric car tipping point for mass adoption. Apparently, more and more Americans want to buy an EV. Consumer Reports um, recommends this. In your book, you suggest that the success, and I use that word carefully, perhaps with inverted commas, of of the electronic vehicle economy might be um, um, a guiding post, if not a tipping point, for fixing the climate. What is it about EVs that should make us slightly more cheerful, Charles.
1: Well, much more cheerful, I would say. Um, and, and 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 let me be clear: the book, the book does not uh, does does not come to doesn't discuss the the question of uh, exactly by what date what should happen. So just to be clear, that that that's uh, my own freehand extrapolation um, uh, as to why why. Uh, the story of EVs is encouraging it because it could be exemplary of the kind of uh, interplay between uh, the government, politics, uh, and and the market uh, and consumer behavior that is needed um, uh, to solve the problem. So the interesting aspect of the EV is that it, it its development was accelerated. Obviously, not determined. Not not uniquely due to but but palpably accelerated uh, by the a series of uh, uh, restrictions on on tightening standards on uh, uh, fleet uh, uh, combustion uh, of, of vehicular emissions in California uh, starting in in the, the 1990s and the interesting thing here is California is Many, many of your listeners will know, uh, California sets has the right under the Clean Air Act to set its own more stringent uh, air pollution standards, and it does. And and um, uh, a- as a result, its standards for uh, vehicular emissions have tended to drive the national and and even the international standards. And uh, at the crucial point, California started requiring. Uh, zero emissions or near zero emission vehicles and the the issue here was that this in, in making a demand like that the, the regular not that everybody do it all at once but that there be a motion in that in, in that direction and as, as part of the reduction of overall uh fleet emissions and the the, the key thing here is that um uh in California was, in one sense, asking for the impossible because at the time nobody could design a, a zero emissions electric vehicle, um, and the question arises: How can you how can you make a regulation that asks people to do the impossible? And the answer is, um, you can make a, resu- a regulation that asks people to do the possible in the near future, on condition that you continuously consult with the most innovative producers and innovators um, uh, to see whether or not that standard is comes to be feasible and if not, what demanding standard would be a, a, a suitable target. So you make the targets uh, both uh, uh, they're provisional. they're in, they're very demanding. But they're provisional in the sense that if the overwhelming burden of, of experience is that you we can't do it the targets are are revised so that something feasible happens now why why is that going to be expected to work the answer is if you set a very demanding target and you have a lot of incumbents and new entrants who, who want to hit it uh, some of them will have a, have a good chance of doing that of surpassing what were previously settled expectations real innovation and once they do that it becomes very risky for others to cling to the status quo well, uh, just... this is encouraging charles
0: you've got some good news we're thrilled yeah 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 um, this is good news but but, but this can and, and my understanding again of the book fixing the climate stretches for an uncertain world is that you and uh, david victor also suggest that this doesn't mean that all international political fixes don't work. You, you cite the Montreal Protocol of 1987 as a model that could theoretically work in contrast with the Kyoto Accords. What is it about the Montreal Protocol that's encouraging and could be theoretically replicated in the future?
1: Well, exactly the same thing. That's encouraging about the EV story because they set targets. This is for aerosols. Um, there's a hole in the ozone. The Montreal, which was a, 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 a shocking discovery. Um, there was a long debate about uh, whether the very much like climate, whether the ozone layer was really imperiled, whether the sources were were anthropogenic, um, and so on. and so The sources of the danger anthropogenic. Um, and eventually people conclude, yes, it's really serious. At that moment, they discover uh, a hole in the ozone layer, not where the, the science thought it would be, but somewhere else over the, Ar- uh, the Antarctic. And, and, um, and the world goes into tilt and says, we really, have, we, don't, we really don't understand this problem. We've got to do something about it. We're going to phase out aerosols, not just aerosols, but uh, CFCs um, uh, and and other ozone destroying substances, and we're we're going to do that. We're going to do that by subsector because you, the, what you do in refrigerants is different. What the, what you do in in um, uh, for uh, soldering, what different again from what you do for uh, uh, soil fumigation, and so on and so forth. So there are many different uses of these ozone-destroying substances. And for each one, they created uh, a sectoral committee. The sectoral committee uh, acted in in its way like the uh, California regulator, the California Air Resources Board. It set provisional targets. It then consulted. actually went a little further, even further than CARB and and, uh, organized, helped organize um, uh, joint exploration of, of alternative possibilities, and very once that system was in place, very rapidly, a uh, problem of of eliminating uh, ozone destroying substances, which before in the mid 80s had seemed to all the experts to be very very difficult, not as a, by way of magnitude comparable to uh, climate change, but the difficulty of re- finding replacements for many select uh, uses of of, of uh, ozone destroying substances look to be as daunting um, uh, they, they solved them so you have yeah, you this have... is good
0: news Charles and it, it sort of fits into your general broader theory that that fixing the climate needs to be thought of not through top-down strategies like Kyoto but more by the perhaps the distributed fixes that something like the Montreal Protocol um, uh, introduces. It's not very sexy, but it's effective. And perhaps the least sexy thing in your book deals with water policy in the European Union. It's the ultimate turn uh, But on the other excusing the pun, but um, on the other hand, you say that that's also effective and that Americans, not for the first or the last time, can learn something from the EU in terms of addressing these big issues. How are the Europeans dealing with their water crisis and water pollution better than the US? What can we learn from the EU on this front?
1: Well, um, uh, yes, I, I, I have to agree with you that that um, uh, pollution runoff is not um, it's not generally regarded as a as a sexy topic um, and or agricultural. Um, manure control if we're talking about it very directly um uh but but there's a, an important lesson here so so the um eu has a, a very advanced uh form of uh, clean water a clean water regulation which says that the uh, water bodies have to be restored to their pristine state with respect to um, uh, the chemical composition, the biological activity associated with the water, and so on and so forth, uh, and and um, where each, each an alpine river is obviously different than um, uh, uh, a, a Mediterranean estuary, and and um, so there, you you have to develop uh, standards for what pristine is, and then the crucial step is to recognize that. Uh, The only way to actually – there is no top-down way of eliminating what's called non-point source solution, solution from multiple distributed, rapidly changing uh, sources. You have to do that locally, and the only way to do that locally is by involving local civil society very uh, directly and very pervasively, continuously in – in identifying and solving the pollution problems, that means uh, very often agriculture first and foremost, because uh, modern intensive agriculture depends on dumping a lot of phosphates and nitrates into the soil and and uh, and and using a lot. of, I mean, it, it's dirty, and and uh, it it really pollutes adjacent water bodies. So. So the innovation here was to set up to induce the s- separate members of the EU to build, uh, water construct, uh, river basin committees, uh, local, regional. They're, they're not local. They're they're hydrological. They're based on the, on the configuration of the the rivers and lakes that are in question, and to uh, make up make plans for. With in consultation with the local users of those water bodies for uh, gradually coming to grips with the pollution and the- right, so it's
0: not sexy, Charles, but it's effective. Finally, um, you know, <laughs> sex tales sex sizzles, of course. We had Erin Brockovich, the Hollywood, I mean, she's a real life Hollywood figure on the show a couple of years ago talking about the water crisis in America. She has a book out or had a book out, Superman's Not Coming, our national water crisis, and what we the people can do about it. Heroic, Hollywood-style subtitle. My sense in your book, Fixing the Climate, is this isn't a Hollywood movie, is it? If we're to fix the climate, we've got to do it in a, in, a, in, a, in a way through local partnerships, through economic, political, cultural experimentation. There is no Superman, Charles, uh, and none of us are Superman either. So we've got to be patient and organised and persistent. Is that the the core premise in your book?
1: That is the core premise, but I, I want to add uh, I, I want to add one connotation uh, and connect this back to a, a remark you made earl- earlier in the show. So the connotation is that. There is absolutely no Superman. Top down doesn't work. There's not, there's, so neither, there's no hero. There's no, there's no outside direction. Um, but we, we, we are the people where this is about democracy. It's not, it's not, this isn't, a, this isn't the most direct way of reforming our democracy, but there's no way that we can, we're, we're going to solve problems like water and, and, and the the many things, even things like like uh, uh, adding wind and solar to the grid, uh, things where they're deeply intrusive uh, into into local lives, the way people live, the way they commute, the way they organize uh, the they, the way they organize daily life. There's no way that we can do that fairly and uh, and effectively at the scale we need to do it unless we have forms of participation that can help contribute to read, that are themselves in some way responsive and democratic and can by therefore arguably uh, contribute to broader democratic renewal. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is you said earlier, uh, I was a fan, we in the book are a fan of plasticity and but plasticity is related to plastic and that's not so sexy either and i just, yeah, i was
0: half teasing
1: you i mean no 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 i know, no, you no, I, didn't I know even but I, I, the
0: title I, I, politics as being is plastic
1: well because because the other the other thing that's plastic though is the brain the brain the brain is a famously plastic organ and that's why we're very good at learning and the kind of plasticity we mean is the kind of plasticity that that comes from being able to rewire things the rewire the way we work with each other and the way so yes i'm i i I absolutely agree with this is not there's no super there's no super person With this is something we're going to have to do together and therefore uh, this is fixing the climate is part of fixing some of the other problems that grieve us as well